0: Good morning, Flipside. Welcome to church. I want to thank you all for being here this morning. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, especially uh, uh, on Sunday mornings, how sort of life, uh, circumstances, the enemy, maybe a combination of all those, kind of conspire on a Sunday morning to give us every reason to not come to church. Is, Is it just me or is there anybody else that's like, you know, it's like with every fiber of your being, you're just trying to get in the car. If you're tuning in online, even that can be difficult sometimes because the technology revolts against us. So I want to commend you all for being in church this morning. If you're thinking, if you just walked in the door and you're thinking, hey, that's not Carl, you would be right. Carl got the opportunity, he and his wife Shelly got the opportunity to travel to South Dakota to spend some time with their son Caleb who's there uh, going to school. So they took that opportunity. We're praying for safe travels for them and a significant visit. But in the meantime, we get to hang out. And I'm excited, It's, it's really fun. It's been a while too since we got to spend some time together sharing a message. We kicked off this series last week called Positioned for Blessing. And as we talked through it, you know, the the staff and leadership talked through where we were going to go with this series, what we were going to talk about. I don't know if it's the time I've spent in youth ministry, but my mind kind of tends to wander to some weird places. And when we started talking about this idea of being positioned for blessing, my my mind wandered back to when I played youth soccer, like the young, like the under eights. That was as, when I was playing soccer as a kid. That was as, as young as we went out here. You actually have under sixes, and there's an interesting phenomenon that happens at uh in youth soccer at those levels. I'm going to explain it. Let's see if you guys can relate. The players all start out in their positions. They're in position, not because they're intimately familiar with their positions, but because the coach is out on the field and like toy soldiers or those little hockey players, he positions them specifically on the field and they stand there and the ref comes up to the center of the field with the ball, and the ref is not really much older than the kids playing the game, and he puts the ball in the center of the field, and all the kids wait there, and he blows the whistle. And the minute, the second he blows the whistle, all the kids rush into the ball, and this little tornado of kids kind of churns and grinds its way throughout the field with really no rhyme or reason to it. And then every now and then the ball will pop out. (laughs) The ball just pop out. Most of the time, it goes out of bounds. It either goes out of bounds on one side of the, uh, at the ends of the goal, and they kick it back in. Or if it goes out of bounds on the sides, they'll throw it back in. And then the little tornado forms, and they continue to grind their way around. Every now and then, the ball will pop out, and it'll actually go in the goal. And the kids just stand there. The tornado kind of ceases from churning. And the kids just stand there. And it takes a while for them to realize what happened. And the side that actually scored the goal, it dawns on them. And they all cheer. And the side that got scored on, some of them actually cry and run off the field. You guys have seen this interesting phenomenon. There's a term for it. What's it called? What's it called, Jeff? Bunch ball. ball. It's called bunch ball. If you've ever coached soccer or had, you know, been a parent or even just drove by the field and was like, what is going on out there? It's called bunch ball. And if you've coached it, you cannot wait. Your objective the whole season long is to get to a point where the kids aren't playing bunch ball anymore. It's like, oh, my gosh, if I could just get them to stop playing bunch ball, it'd be a success. The rest of the season would just be gravy. Interestingly enough, there is a way to play spiritual bunchball. The Bible actually talks about it. We talked about it last week a little bit. There's this verse that comes out of the Gospel of Matthew. And it says, he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Spiritual bunchball right there. You just kind of grind it out with the herd and every now and then, oh, I get some sun. And then every now and then, oh, I get some rain. And you kind of wonder what happened. And if you got sun, you kind of rejoice in that and really not, uh, that's cool that that happened. I'm not sure how. And if you get rain, you kind of lament that fact. And then you just get back in the herd and you grind it out. But there is also something the Bible talks about over and over again that alludes to the fact that we can actually play a position. We can actually position ourselves to receive a blessing intentionally putting ourselves and keeping ourselves in a position to be blessed. One of the things we talked about last week that we're going to keep reiterating week after week is uh, for us not to make a, a, a crucial mistake in this area, and that is for us to think that God can somehow be manipulated. When it comes to the idea of putting ourselves in a position to be blessed, we shall not make the mistake of thinking God can be manipulated as though God were one of those um, combo locks in a junior high locker room where you go 15 to the right and five to the left and back to the right 20 and then the lock pops off and you get a blessing. I used to work at this place and we had this entire wall full of vending machines Shouldn't think that God is like a spiritual vending machine where we put the right coinage in and hit the right combination of buttons and the little spring turns and out comes a blessing and we reach in and there's our blessing. That's not scriptural. But to deny the fact that the Bible talks about positioning ourselves in a position to receive a blessing would be to deny entire swaths of scripture So we talked about these positions last week. We introduced this list that we're gonna keep coming back to. Putting ourselves in a position of prayer. Carl talked about that last week. Putting ourselves in a position of expectation, a position of trust, of letting go and leaving behind. Those are two biggies we're gonna talk about in the weeks to come. A position of embracing and a position of faithfulness. All positions we can put ourselves in spiritually where we increase the likelihood and potential of us being blessed. This week we're gonna talk about this position of trust. We're gonna leapfrog that idea or that position of expectation and Carl's gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna talk about this idea or this position of trust this week because it's the position that a lot of other positions depend on. Deep breath, you guys ready? Here we go. If you brought your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Proverbs chapter three. Some of you know this verse by heart. There's some junior hires that have this verse on their Instagram account. This is a a verse that a lot of people are familiar with. Maybe you can even recite it, but we're gonna take a real deep look, maybe a, a closer look than you've taken in the past at that verse of scripture today. It says, trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Easy enough, right? Maybe we should all just pray and go home right now. <laughs> this is an easy verse to accept when things are going well. Yes. Amen, brother. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Yes, I claim it. But when things are going rough, this is a verse that makes me a little upset. Because I automatically reply, that's easy for you to say, God, Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you know what I'm going through right now? Lean not on my own understanding. My own understanding is overwhelming. It's there when I go to sleep, and it's there when I wake up. This gets difficult. And when it comes to the concept of positioning positioning ourselves to receive a blessing, this is where it gets dicey. Because last week, we kind of dipped our toe in the water and talked about prayer. And when we talk about prayer, it's like, okay, I can do that, I can pray. But when we talk about trust, this requires us to have some skin in the game. This now puts us in a posi- position to where we may experience a little, a little thing called loss. We, ha- we now have something to lose. If you're like me, a lot of people look at this word and go, don't try to pull a Jedi mind trick on me. What you're really trying to say is this. Put myself in a position to be vulnerable. And I've done that before and I got burned and I don't want to do that again. So don't try to come at me with trust. What you're really saying is that, and we all know that's bad. We all know that word vulnerable or vulnerability has very negative connotations. And so it's hard. It's hard to trust in, trust in stuff, but it's specifically hard to trust in God. So as we, get, as we take this little journey this morning, I want us to entertain answering that question. Why is it so hard to trust? Specifically, why is it so hard to trust God? I asked a lot of people that very question this week, some elementary school kids, some adults. I asked them that question. Why is it so hard to trust God? The number one answer, the overarching answer to that question is, or was, because I can't see God or I can't hear from God, at least not his audible voice, or I can't touch God. God. And so I used to do this with high school students all the time. I'd kind of press a little bit deeper. So I pressed a little bit deeper and I said, so by that rationale, if God were more like people who you can see and you can hear, you can smell, especially if they're junior hires, and you can touch, (laughs) by that rationale, if God were more like people, he'd be easier to trust. And everybody kind of went, well, hold on a minute here. Because we all flash back to the times when we put our trust in people and how that went and how much of a rolling the dice sort of exercise that can be. I think that's the first reason we find it so hard to trust God, because we base our willingness to trust God on our experiences with trusting other people. We base our willingness to step out in faith and trust God on the times we've experienced trusting other people. Sometimes that's gone all right, and other times, man, that just, oh, no, uh uh-uh. We can see other people, but other people have disappointed us. Organizations have let us down. Promises have been broken. We have had people look us in the eye and said, trust me, and then turned around and broken that trust. And it'd be a very valid complaint to take to God and then stand there with arms crossed waiting for a response. What do you have to say to that, God? Huh? You want to talk about trust? I did that one time, and look what happened. They let me down. She let me down. It let me down. And I think God would say, yeah, I... I kind of told you that was a potential thing that could happen. God's word says this, for how many? For all have sinned. The people that irritate you, that you're just like, Murr, and that sweet little old grandma who can do no wrong, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> the prophet Jeremiah says this, the heart, talking about that thing that drives us is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. If you've ever looked at somebody and gone, I do not get you, God would go, I know. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? If you walk around and experience enough life, it is not long before the law of averages catches up with you and someone who is of the flawed humanity will disappoint us and break our trust and make us say, that's why it's hard to trust. Or maybe the law of averages has kind of been in your favor, but you've also had experiences with trusting in yourself. Have you ever gone, have you ever literally sat by yourself and went, what was I thinking? What would have made me thought, what would make me think that was a good idea? So even if the, even if the law of average is in your favor with trusting over the people, we've all, all experienced what it goes like to trust in, in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So the second reason I think we find it's hard to trust God is that we're just unaware of God's invitations to trust. We just don't know what God has to say about the details of our lives. the specific things God invites us to trust him with. Children, possessions, careers, relationships, sexuality, friendships, all the minutia of life. I think a lot of people, myself included, a lot of times fall into the trap of just viewing God as this general being who's got some really cool powers, like he can know all things at all times and be uh, everywhere at all times. And we forget that God calls us and invites us in to trust him with the details of our lives. So let's say we kind of do the hard work and we trudge through making the distinction, like we talked about that first reason of making the distinction between, okay, I'm flawed humanity, God is not. He calls me to trust Him. We even become familiar with some of the ways He, call, ways he calls us to trust Him. There's a third, actually three and a half, we're gonna talk about reasons of why it's so hard to trust God. We think we're different. <clears throat> we think we're different. Meaning, God, this situation is specific and I don't really think you grasp the gravity of what's, a, what's at stake here when I, when I trust you. This is the, we, have you ever thought this is the first time anyone has ever gone through this? <laughs> ever. I call it the first time syndrome. <clears throat> I think I'm different. This is the, nobody's ever, nobody's ever had to experience this. When I tore my ACL, I'm like, oh, before I tore my ACL, I didn't even know what an ACL was. I thought it was like right here. <laughs> and then I'm like, this is the first time anybody's ever gone. I'm never going to walk again. I'm just going to, uh-uh. this is the first time this has ever happened to anyone ever. All throughout the Bible, there are stories of these first times where God calls people to trust him and the people rightly respond, this is the first, there's no precedent set in this regard. In the book of Joshua, Joshua was the guy who took over for Moses after Moses had died and he actually was going to do the work that people had been talking about for so long of taking the people, God's people, the Israelites, into the promised land and and Joshua sort of has this list of grievances or this list of, of scary things he was concerned about. And God says, you got to trust me. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. I know you've never done this before. That's all the reason more to trust me. We talked about Moses. There's the story of Moses and he leads the people out of slavery in Egypt where they'd been for 400 and something years up to the edge of the Red Sea and God goes, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna part the sea and y'all are gonna march through on dry land and Moses goes, there's no, I'm, I'm looking in the book. There's nothing, no precedent set here. When you're in a courtroom, one of the things they automatically consider, it's one of the things that they base a lot of cases on is is there a precedent set? And when they realize they're in uncharted water, some weird things happen. The story of David. There was never, a, a, never another story of God calling somebody to go toe-to-toe with a giant with just a sling and a stone. Nothing like that had ever been done before. Have you ever heard the story of Daniel? Nobody had ever been thrown into a lion's den and survived. There's a story of Joseph and Mary, this young couple. And God says, look, the virgin's going to become pregnant. And Joseph went, they didn't teach that to us in science class. That's not how it works. You either are or you aren't. (laughs) And God's like, I know nothing like this has happened before. You have to trust me. Even with all those stories, we think we're different. How many of you have said 2020 has been a year of firsts and I don't know if I can trust anything? God, nothing like this has happened before. (laughs) And God says, you're right, trust me. One of the reasons God says, trust me, is because when things change, when March hit, we all went, what is going on? And God says, I know it's changing, but I do not change, God says. The book of the prophet Malachi, he says, I the Lord do not change. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change, like shifting shadows. Another prophet, Isaiah, says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. We fall into the trap when it comes to trust. We think our first time is God's first time. Like like, like it's like God goes, hold on a second here. I'm not sure how this is gonna play out, so just... You know, kind of talk amongst yourselves for a little while, and I'm going I'm to try to get a game plan. We'll see how it works out. We think our first time is God's first time. And God says, it's not my first time. And the good news is, is I don't change. You can bank on it every time. God has been asking people to put their trust in him since the beginning of time. There's one more reason, overarching reason, that kind of dips down into all these other reasons we've talked about, and that's this word right here, Fear good old or bad old-fashioned fear. We're just afraid. Even the most calloused, burly guys, people you know, sometimes it's them that's the most afraid. I'm afraid things won't work out. Work out the way I want them to. Work out the way I think they should. It's the what-ifs of life. What if this, what if this, what if this. Have you guys guys ever like traced through the what-ifs? And then this could happen, and then this could happen, and this could happen. I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose this, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose that, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose him, I'm gonna lose her, or that I'm just gonna lose. I'm afraid. The Bible talks about God being love, not that he's God as one of his attributes, this idea of love, but that he is the very definition of love. And when it comes to fear, we can take that a step further. First John, John, who was a disciple of Jesus, says there is no fear in love, but instead, perfect love drives out fear. I used to do an experiment with, um, the Bible talks a lot about don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I used to do ex- an experiment with my daughters. Like we'd be getting ready for school in the morning and they'd be like walking down the hallway and I'd just jump out and go, don't be afraid. And they'd go, oh, I wasn't until you jumped out and told me not to be afraid. Is there something God realizes there's things to be afraid of. Why would you tell anybody not be, to not be afraid if, if there wasn't reason to be afraid? God says, I know, but my perfect love drives that fear out. So back to our anchor verse, Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So far, we've heard our responses, what what our reasons for not being able to trust God, and we've heard Scripture's response to that. So I guess we could end the message right now. But so far we've just got a lot of we've just got a lot of uh, of facts. Got some some right grievances, some right gripes, and God's response in His Word to those grievances. But we've left one very important question unanswered. It's It's the application part of this. The question we all should be asking is how? How do I trust God? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) How do I trust God? I want to give you guys an example. Can I give you an example? I've been spending a lot of time around high uh, high school students, but specifically teenagers. I have a 19-year-old. I have um, all daughters. I have uh, a daughter who's going to be 18 pretty soon. And I have an 11-year-old, but she's acted like she's 17 for the last five years. And so... Teenagers tend to use very vague and ambiguous terms. Have you guys ever realized that? <clears throat> it's like, they'll get home and I'll go, how'd it go? And they, go, and they use the word like way too much. Yes. How'd it go? Well, it's like, you know, they're, just, uh, they're like, it's like, it's whack. It's just whack. <laughs> well, wow, that clears it up. <laughs> awesome. So I want to give you guys, but when they're, when they're in elementary school, everything is literal. So I want to take the elementary school approach. I want to just be literal. I want to give you guys an example of how this idea of trust played out in my own life. If you like the example, steal it. If you hate it and you think that's garbage, that's a horrible example, great. Come up with your own. This is just how it played out in my life. I remember the winter. <clears throat> it was 2004, 2005. That was a cold winter. And the reason I remember it as being cold is because I was working in my garage that winter. No heat, garage door up. I had to have the garage door up because of the work, type of work I was doing. And I remember being hunched over the workbench with the, with the receiver in my hand when we all had uh, landlines. You guys remember that? Those days of landlines. And I remember I, I, I was about to dial a number and I f- remember thinking to myself, she's never going to go for it. She's never going to go for it. This is never going to work. Because I had been reading in God's word for the previous, actually, four or five weeks. But it actually went back a lot further than that because I'd been praying about it as well. This idea of what the Bible calls a tithe. And if you've ever grappled with this idea, you know there's some, it's just like pulling teeth. This idea of what God has to say about trusting him with my finances, my treasure, my resources. This idea of a tithe of 10% off the top, give it to God. And I'd been reading about that and I'd been praying about that and God had been bringing it back to my mind and it would not leave me alone. And so I finally thought, I wanna do this. But the problem was, was that I was married. (laughs) and there was more to this decision than just me. And so I had to call my wife Jennifer and tell her that I thought we should start doing this. So I'm hunched over the workbench. I dial the number. I knew she was on her lunch break. She was in in the first semester of her first teaching job. I thought she's on her lunch break. Have you guys ever just prayed somebody would not pick up the phone? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, whole, that's the whole thing behind texting, right? You, you, you type out the text. Going, I don't have to. Have you guys ever had somebody, proof, like Megan, proofread that text and tell me, you know, check my grammar. Would you use a different word? That's the magic behind texting. But when you're calling somebody, so it starts to ring, she picks up. I said, hey. She said, hey. I said, I think we should start tithing. You know, nothing like, how's your day going? You doing okay? She could have had like 30 kindergartners just peed in their chairs. and Like nothing, none of that, no social graces. I said, hey, I think we should start tithing. And she said, okay. And I went, hold on a minute. <laughs> you didn't understand the question or the statement. I said, no, like 10% off the top. And she said, okay. And I pressed a little further. I'm like, no, that means like $10, a dollar goes to God. A dime, a penny goes to God. She says, Jeff, I'm better at at math than you are. I understand what you're saying. And I'm saying, okay. And I said, are you sure? And she said, are you sure? And I said, I think I'm sure. And I hung up the phone. And we talked about it that night and we decided to trust God in that area of our lives. Now, big deal, right? There's a back there's a backstory to that. There is a backstory to that decision. The reason I was in that cold garage that winter is because I had just left a job working for a company where I had vacation time and a 401k and benefits and all that good stuff that comes along with working for, uh, all the security that comes along with work. I had left all of that. Jennifer had just graduated with her teaching credential and had just started her first year of teaching where they told her at the end of this school year, you will not have a job. It's called getting pink-slipped. You won't have a job at the end of the semester. We will keep a spot, a placeholder for a class, and if the kids show up, they'll be the class. And if we like the job you do this semester, and you interview well again for the job that you just interviewed for, when when you interview again, if we like you again, you'll have a job next year. The kicker for me was we also had two small children, two little girls, They had not become teenagers yet. You'll pull, you know, when they're teenagers, you'll pull the trigger on all sorts of crazy decisions because they have attitudes and you're like, take this. (laughs) But when they're cute like that, oh, dad, I love you so much. I love you too. It did not make sense to step out and start trusting God in that area of our lives at that point in our lives. What would have made sense would have been for us to say, "Let's give it a few months. Let's give it a year. See how the business goes. Let's give it a couple of years or a year and a half. Let's see if Jennifer gets tenure. Let's give it some. Let's give it some time and see all this. See how all this plays out with this chill, these these kids. Can't give them back, so we got to we got to see how it pans out. You know, let's wait till we're actually sleeping through the night and we can have a coherent thought. That would have made sense." Some good family planners would have probably told us, wait a little while. It doesn't make sense right now. But we knew that God said, step out in this area and trust me in this. Trust me in this. Regardless of what the culture says, what the times say, trust me in this. Here's the kicker you guys, when we put ourselves in a position of trust like that, something very spiritual happens. God assumes responsibility for the outcome. God now assumes the responsibility for the outcome. I can pretty much guarantee you whether you guys know it or not, this probably split the group right down the middle. Because a lot of you looked at that and went, of all the reasons, you just hit the real reason because God assumes the responsibility and now I've given up the thing I love most about my life and that is control and nobody's gonna take responsibility for my decisions because people let me down. God assumes responsibility for the outcome. For the other half, it probably is a very comforting thing. That statement is probably a very comforting statement. God now assumes responsibility for the outcome. May I propose to you that there are some things you don't want responsibility for? There are things that I have said, sure, and then two weeks down the road, we're back to that statement. What was I thinking? Uh, How did I think this was going to work out good? How did I think this was going to go well for me? There are certain things I do not want responsibility for. And better yet, there are certain things God never called me to be responsible for. Things that I've taken on. I remember when my daughter Sydney was little. I mean, and this is not just her. It happened with all my kids, but especially with her. She'd be grappling with something. I mean, Legos or, you know, some toy. And I'd walk in the room and I'd go, do you want help? And she'd go, I want to do it she turned turn around and she would not let me touch that thing. And sometimes it was just comical because I would sit back and go, wow, this should be really good. <laughs> Watching her struggle with this. I think we do that with God sometimes. Get out of the way, God. You don't know how to do this. Will you just let me do it? And it gets difficult I think if we were to set a table right here and you would be able to sit here or I would be able to sit here and God would sit here and we would sometimes go, I'm buckling under the weight of this and God would go, I know. And whatever made you think I asked you to handle that. Whatever gave you the idea that I called you to handle that, to take on responsibility, to trust in yourself with that. We've talked a lot in here about something called the hum div principle, human divine the div. The human side is we work at it and, and, and do everything we can do in our own humanity. Work at it in our own humanity like it all depends on us, but trust and pray and do all the things that God says to let him handle, like it all depends on God. It's the hum div principle. Let me give you an example of that. My daughter who is away at um, school in Arizona called in March when all the schools started locking down. And the writing was on the wall. They weren't locked down yet, but it was, it was coming. And she said, dad, I'm freaking out. I said, why are you freaking out? She says, because I have labs. I can't work on a, she's a nursing major. I can't work on a cadaver online. I said, you know, tell, I told her all the, the things a good father should tell her. Calm down. Everything's going to be okay. And at one point during the conversation, she said, stop telling me to calm down. And I said, Okay let me ask you this. Have you been negligent? Like, have you like cheated on tests and, you know, held off on doing homework or, you know, skipped study groups or kind of, you know, shirked responsibility in any regard? And we just kind of went down the laundry list of things. And she said, no, 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 no. And I got to the point where I said, then stop stressing about it. Let God do what only God can do. You have just told me you've done everything you can do So let God do what only God can do. It's the hum-div principle. It allows us to not take on responsibilities that God never called us to be responsible for and to appreciate that statement right there. God assumes responsibility for the outcome. Did you guys know when we made that decision to start tithing back in 2004, 2005, I went to bed that night and I slept better than I had slept in months it was so cold. Oh my gosh, that winter. I went to bed. I used to go to bed in um, a hoodie with a beanie on. Jennifer, she's like, you're freaking me out. It's like sleeping next to a mummy. <laughs> I was still cold that night, but man, it was, <sighs> I sacked out. Because God now had responsibility for the outcome. So as we wrap up today, I want to leave you guys with a question. What is it for me? What is it for me that I am being called to trust God with? What area of my life? If you're like me, you kinda, you know, there's those lists and you're like, yes, yes. Pretend like that one's not there. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. What is it, what is that one for you? Sometimes this can be very difficult. Let's ask the question, what is it for me? For some of us, the first and most important step of trust is putting our faith in Jesus as our personal savior. That is the one step of faith, the one act of trust that all other acts depend on. And something hit me at about six o'clock this morning as I was preparing for this. Sometimes the blessing Meets us when we put ourselves in the position. Sometimes the blessing meets us there. It's a weird thing. It's like we're on the sidelines and we go, Coach, what was the position again? And he's like, Center mid, kind of play back. And then we run out on the field and the blessing is like, Hey, where you been? Putting your faith in Jesus, the blessing is waiting for you. Even if Jesus did nothing else for you through the entire course of your life, He's already done more than you could ask or or imagine. The tragedy is not putting ourselves in this position of trust. We may spend our whole life just playing bunch ball. Run the risk of spending a whole life just playing bunch ball and sometimes it rains and we cheer or sometimes it rains and we don't cheer, sometimes the sun's out and we cheer. So this week ask the question, what is it for me that God is calling me to trust Him with? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the opportunity and the invitation that you give us really to trust you in these ways. Help us to do the hard work, to answer the hard questions, to not shy away from them. Help us to understand that you want to be involved in the minutiae of our lives, the seemingly insignificant details and the really big stuff that maybe some of us have been thinking about for months. Help today be a day of turning to you and answering those hard questions. Help us to when it doesn't seem to make sense to trust in you anyway and help us to rest in the comfort, knowing that you now assume the responsibility for the outcome. Jesus, we love you. Help us to love you more. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, we're gonna invite you to stand as we respond through worship.